So we have a, a situation here and can recognize that meditation or the word meditation itself brings up certain perils and uh, obsessions and uh, dreads, <laughs> hours of, of pain on the cushion and uh, trying to make things work and trying to concentrate the mind and dealing with uh, pell-mell turmoil of thoughts and oh goodness why do we do this so um, it doesn't have to be this way <laughs> sometimes it is this way it doesn't have to be this way all the time uh, so you know there are a range of techniques and themes that you that you can cultivate and also to remember that really what uh, counts in the long run is to get some sort of handy things that you can use for uh, 20, 24 hours, seven days a week, or at least the waking time of that. You know, things that are, and so there are a range of, of systems and techniques um, that help us to stop losing ourselves, stop breaking up our wholeness. You know. now, if we are actually in wholeness, then it's like we have an innate balance. Yeah. It's like our, our boat is is got no holes in the hull. We can we can float. Sometimes the seas are a bit rough, and sometimes they calm down. But you don't lose the boat. You stay whole and intact. The wholeness by wholeness, I mean you have this sense of the threefold aspects of mind: the ability to clearly direct the mind to define what you're doing, to have that sense of just this, just this, just this. You know, attention, you might say. You also have the, the quality of heart, that you don't lose uh, faith with yourself. You don't lose contact with yourself. You don't lose uh, benevolence towards yourself. You don't lose yourself in aims and ambitions. You don't lose yourselves in pressures and worries. You don't lose yourself in self and other. Louder. Yeah, sure. Don't lose yourself in self and other, which means that you don't get uh, too drawn into uh, self-concern, obsessiveness, worry about yourself or other people. You're able to maintain a healthy balance with those particular thoughts and and moods and inclinations. So this is what it means to have have a full heart, you know, we can be aware of the, the pressures, the anxieties, and the uh, doubts and fears of our lives and the joys of them without getting uh, in, capsized or engrossed in it all. You know, whatever you're with, may you be well, may you abide with this peacefully. So it means this kind of basic intention of heart. And to support that, the whole thing that does get missed is the bodily presence, you know, certain groundedness. And this is the bit that goes, you know. So generally what goes for people in a sequence is first of all their bodily presence. They're rushed off their feet. We don't have time to be present. Body, what's that mean? Because right now I've got thoughts, things to do and plans and so forth. So 
body just meat bag, throw something in it, and get off to work. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know. So the sense of the body being a live, vital, sensitive presence that can inform you gets lost. It's not really even there in the mainstream of our of our of our culture. When the body's presence is lost, the, the we, we're essentially insecure because we don't have ground. We don't have that sense of being here. We don't have a place in the universe. Yeah. So we're always trying to find a place in the universe in terms of feeling, feeling good, feeling okay, feeling we belong, feeling we're all right with others. Now, of course, we want to feel all right with others, but to, to but sometimes we don't. You know, sometimes we don't belong, and sometimes we do feel pain. So, you want to have something that that gives you a ground within that experience. Then, you have the the boat, the buoyancy to to travel through the difficult stuff. And this is what the bodily presence gives you. It gives your heart something to rest in. Say, you know. No matter what, there is this. Without that, we are ontologically insecure, you know, trying to find something. Or very often what happens with people is that we start to even lose heart and all that's left is a spinning head. Yeah. So the second piece that goes is heart, this sense of emotional uh, connection to one's well-being and to, you know, Instead, we get things I should do, things I should be. And things I should do start to transfer into things I should be. <laughs> the two get mixed up. And there's some kind of intuitive instinct that says, you know, if you could get to be the right thing you should be, you'd be all right. If you could get to do enough, you'd be all right. But you never do, and you never will. <laughs> We've been doing this for years. We've never done enough to be all right. Yeah. It still haunts us. Yeah. We can look back and we think, well, it wasn't bad, I suppose. I meant well, but it wasn't so good. Now I've got to do some more. And the things I didn't do for my mother, father, aunt, children, grandmother, grandchildren, cousin, husband, wife, sister, brother, friend, innumerable mass of stuff I didn't do wasn't enough for. Yeah? And in your work and in your home. And you realize you're not, we don't get to the sense of completion through doing. It's not to say we shouldn't do anything, but ideally from wholeness our doing arises as a kind of an expression of our love, of our balance, of our, of our presence. It's a gift. It's not, a, it's not a debt we're trying to pay off to make other people feel good enough. It's our gift, it's our doing. And it's playful and it's joyful, it's like music, it's like poetry, it's, it's that which we offer. And it's, it's beautiful. You know? Because of that, it's not stained with self-importance or worry. This is the possibility for wholeness, to live in a whole way. This is what I would like to encourage, and uh, you know, and now, you know, is meditation going to do that? Well, it depends. 
if we meditate from the doing place to get good enough at it, it's not. It's going to be miserable again. If it's another thing we're going to do to get good at, it's going to be another one of those miserable scenarios if you haven't done it good enough. And in fact, you're not the kind of person who can ever do it good enough. (laughs) That's what it translates into. Because you never have done it good enough and you're not doing it good enough, you basically are not good enough (laughs) to meditate. And that's what it translates into. And that, that is that spiritual suicide. You know, you lose faith, you lose confidence. Who wants to be with that? But meditation is not about, it doesn't mean we don't do anything, but it's not about seeking something in, in the doing. You know, doing is a kind of flow of, of a gift. You know, what we do is pay attention. Hmm. Doing meditation is not really about feeling good. Sometimes we feel good, sometimes we don't feel good. It's about feeling balanced within the good and the bad and the curious and the unresolved. Because we never have felt that sense of, of completion in feeling. It, it kind of a wave comes up, a good feeling is there and it moves along. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily pass in a flash, but it rises, it moves along. That's the beauty of it. That's the poignancy of it. But you have to move along with it. And it's the the balance that allows one to move along with the flow of feeling rather than be held holding on. That's where you get this subtle, subtler quality of feeling, of buoyancy. So for this we have to, in a way, soften. Soften our hold. As you soften, you hold something and you widens and becomes more expansive. You can embrace, you can, you can empty yourself into experience. You're not so, one isn't so nervous or tight. And because of this, we learn how to include everything in our lives. The sights, the sounds, the pains, the pleasures, the disappointments. We're no longer frightened of them. We're no longer adding them up and making some self out of it. Everyone's life, in a way, is a tragedy. <laughs> Looked at one perspective and another perspective, everyone's life is a comedy. It's, but it's change, isn't it? So we embrace that. So when you come down to it, when I come down to it, I kind of try to summarize what, are we, what is our practice, whether you do mindfulness of breathing, metta bhavana, sweeping the body, mindfulness of walking, standing, whether you have systems and techniques, what really, if you, even if you're not meditating in a, in a technical way, what does it come down to? And I've contemplated this, and my offering today and through the retreat is a three, three processes or three stages to a process. And the first, I call it paying attention or giving attention. Just give some attention. Attention is normally scattered, flickering, half there, half somewhere else, half anticipating, half wanting something to happen. It's kind of a blurred thing, like a bird with a broken wing. Mm-hmm. Give attention so it becomes like an, like an eagle that can just soar, poised, resting on what we're doing. Pay attention. 
Attention shapes and molds the mind. Shapes and molds that stream of mind. What we attend to, how we attend. First step is paying attention. And from this, as you pay attention, softening, softening the pressures, as you pay attention in an appropriate way, in a skillful way, in an intimate way, to what's happening for you in your own body, in your own breathing, in your own heart, you can start to sense the edges, the tensions, the withdrawals, the pushes, and also you sense the places of ease and release. So you need to soften some of the push, the hard edges, the do's, the don'ts, the can's, the can'ts, the I am and the I am nots. Make it more allowing, less definite, less conclusive. Softening your body, softening your energies, softening your mental attitudes. Softening allows you to widen. So softening and widening. A sense of space rather than time. So the movement in time is, uh, is driven. Time is like a strange drug in our systems. Time is like caffeine. Time is like uh, cocaine. Time is like a hit that we take every day when we get up. <laughs> and it pushes us along. And it demands and it chews us up. Time is like the, uh, is a, the myth of time is, is of a <coughs> creation of, by Shiva, the Hindu myth of the lord of the, lord of the dance of it all. And in this myth, there was this terrible demon that was uh, going to eat the whole universe up. So Shiva decided he'd create a monster that would be bigger than this demon. And he created this monster which was just jaws. And this monster started eating everything. And it attacked the demon. And the demon realized what it was and said, no, no, I give up. I give up. Take that thing off me. So Shiva let the demon go and the whole universe was restored. And this demon was left with its gnashing teeth. And said, this is time. (laughs) You know. What a pressure it has for us. Birth, aging, death, change, the need for the future, the need for security, how it eats into us, how the world is constructed around it. Don't waste your time. Have you got enough time? If you work hard now, you'll have time for the f- in the future. You'll have time when you retire. The drug of it, the temptation of it. And as long as we keep taking it, we keep believing in it, we keep following its trances, we're on the mill, we're on the treadmill of time. We're being eaten by it. We don't have it, it has us. But there's a way out, and the way out is changing time into space. You can feel that push of time in your nerves, the sense of becoming, of progress, of achievement, Feel that and just widen, soften, relax, widen your body, loosen your mental attitudes, 
and the demon starts to lose its grip. The sense of what I could be or should be, feel that happening in your guts, in your, in your heart. Just feel it. So often the pressure to change it or get rid of it or follow it, get bigger than that, be with that, widen, soften, breathing out. So we change time into space. And it's widening. And then you can begin to include it all. This is the third step of the process. Pay attention, soften and widen, and then include it all. Include what you see, include what you hear. Something very beautiful when when we can include it all. We're not skipping over, we're not narrowing down. Include our sorrows, include our trivial, include our humour. Include our emptiness, our confusion. Why include it all? Just pay attention to it. Let it find its own place. Let it unfold itself. Then you begin to really see there's nothing to defend yourself. We have to defend ourselves against. It's just change. And we have the space to allow that to happen. So paying attention, paying attention, giving attention, softening, widening, including it all. A three-step process. And you know, so when we, often we, it's good to bear all three in mind so we don't get you know, fixated on any particular part of it. Paying attention is in order to be able to, to find a center point, to find the balance from which we can start to unfold. But paying attention doesn't mean get creased up and crinkled and contracted in, in, in constricted processes. <laughs> yeah. So if paying attention doesn't mean necessarily focusing on one tiny little point, you know, that you start getting tense about, it means pay attention. <laughs> you know, and keep the whole thing in mind, like don't lose empathy, don't lose presence, don't make paying attention to another achievement experience. Just listen up, listen up. Find a center point, breathing in and out, and listen up to the wholeness of what occurs around that. So I'm not making a big thing out of breathing in and out. We could get down to refined little wrinklings of sensation, and you can do that if if you wish. You can find a particular point in your body that feels comfortable for you. Your belly, your chest, your throat, the back of your nose, your forehead, anywhere where you feel comfortable with that, and just be with the experience of that rhythmic flow, breathing in, breathing out, of energy moving and changing, of the sense of release and the sense of gathering in. That happens by itself. It helps us to relax our will. And yet the, the attentiveness keeps us sharp. So there's a sense of attention and yet also relaxation.
This is, this is the balance of meditation. So, you know, but the main thing with it is to keep attentive. What am I doing? How, how does it feel? What kind of attitudes are there? Attention, what we attend to, naturally gives us input. If you attend to, you know, whatever newspapers, you get that. If you attend to TV, you get that. If you attend to gardening, you get that. If you attend to bird watching, you get that. If you attend to looking at landscapes, you get that. If you attend to music, you get that. And it shapes you, doesn't it? It shapes your internal landscape. It's shaped by what you attend to. So here you're just attending to simple things like requires no effort, breathing in, breathing out. What does that do? Well, essentially, it's an energy change. Attend to the energy change. Because this is what feeds the whole of your body and mind. It's kind of the, the fundamental vitality. Get in touch with that. This affects your mind, affects your heart. If your breath is tight or constricted, your mind will be that way. If your breath is steady and deep, your mind becomes steady and deep. Check it out. What we attend to affects our experience. And also how we attend. So we're looking for an attentiveness that's steady, sustained, not driven, not anxious, not compulsive, just a steady gift, giving attention. Make it something you can do. So it's not like screwing yourself up to try to focus on something too, too refined. And yet it's, it's not so subtle that you can't be with it. And it does require this sense of leaning, this sense of inclining, the sense of opening up to it. Breathing in, breathing out. Giving it attention. Feel the warming effects, flowing effects, the changes that occur. Paying attention, you know, and the results are that we've uh, gathered in these what are called our indrias or sense faculties, our energies that normally would be diffused and sent out onto holding this and that, multitasking, figuring, planning, achieving, concern, worry, and just, just, you know, taking all those diversities into a simple unity. Just being with your vitality, breathing in, breathing out. This is for your one's welfare. This is a massage. This is time for a bath in that. This is calming. Now, we do breathe in and out all the time. Yeah. So it's, it's why it's a very helpful meditation it's a theme, because we do it all the time. Anytime you're you know, getting flustered, just what's happening in my breath, what's happening in my body, can I maybe check that, slow it down, breathe a bit more deeply, you know, five seconds, ten seconds of that. And you see, you experience the results 
of a collected attention. Attention is not pressed in, but gathered in. How a uh, collected attention is, sees beauty. Yeah. How a collected attention attunes or senses the poignant beauty of things. Mm-hmm. Just walking out here the other evening after the meditation, just noticing I've been here many years on and off. Perhaps the first time I just noticed the real curve of the landscape. Just the flowing curves of the landscape. We always think of Northumberland as being crags and stone and tough and <coughs> howling winds and rain and sheep nibbling off of you know what they can off the moorlands and grit and dour and all that. <laughs> and I walked out last night without those perceptions just to actually pay attention. I saw the lovely curving sweep of the land with the yellow colours and the ploughed fields and... Uh, it's the delight of, of, of a land that is an expression of the changing nature of the earth. Flowing, softly changing. It's beautiful. Why didn't I see that before? Because I wasn't paying attention. I was thinking, I was going somewhere, I was busy, I was trying to work something out. And there it was, you know. So paying attention, gathering one's faculties in. Paying attention and we walk to how the body does it, how the body knows how to walk without falling over. You try to figure out how to walk with your head. You probably say something. Well, you kind of lift one leg and stick, put it in front of the other one. You probably, if you did followed that, you'd probably fall over. <laughs> you just feel what happens when you walk. What happens in your back? How the body kind of knows what it's doing. Starts to tense up. Starts to shift its balance. Starts to shift its weight. Releases. Gets a feeling for how to stay upright and in balance while we're in this precarious experience of moving. And then the weight, foot coming down, the weight coming onto it. And then the next step. And you see the beauty of walking. How, how uh, beautiful it is. Like swimming or dancing. <coughs> beauty of standing. Beauty of uh, breathing. Because beauty is when the mind is a natural experience when the mind is not obsessed with functionality, obsessed with its own programs. And there's this, the, the contemplative life is a life of beauty, of joy, of freshness, of delight, of, of happiness. Mm-hmm. Even in this, even in aging, sickness, death, even in separation, even in the unresolved, there is still this boat and beauty blows the sails of that boat and we float in it. Paying attention.
attention is also molded by intention. The mind is shaped by intention. Intention means the kind of uh, attitudes or drives that are carrying the mind in the present moment. It could be intention towards um, being at peace with oneself. It could be the intention towards getting somewhere. It could be the intention towards... um, remembering something, the mind is always held with some kind of intention. Intention to listen. Listen up. Intention, sometimes intention just wants to go to sleep. Enough. Intention to just... Intention isn't always deliberate. But it's, you might say, it's the, it's the push, it's the angling of the mind. If you came in here... As a thief, you'd see different things than if you came in here as an architect because your intention would be different. If you came in here as a meditator, you probably wouldn't be considering it the way you would if you were an architect. Structural beams, the engineering, the stability. You'd go, oh, nice space, fragrant incense, flowers, Buddha. Came here as a thief, you think, oh, gold, brass, what's that worth? You know? <laughs> Are we in the same place or not? Depends on intention, doesn't it? So intention and shapes our world just as much as intention as attention does. Intention, attention. So, what is our intention when we meditate? Sometimes we don't really know. It's kind of murky. Feels like a good idea. I suppose I really ought to. It's about time I got to come to terms with myself. You know, or feeling really confused, whatever it is. Some aspiration, maybe murky. I suggest the intention here is to come to wholeness, balance, and then kindness, compassion, other things will come to you quite naturally, will flow through you quite naturally. When you're in wholeness, Benevolence, stability, clarity arrive. Notice, you know, the wholeness is is your bodily present. Are you empathic with yourself, with what's happening to you? Are you with that or, or away from it, in it or resisting it? Or can you just be present with that? And is there clarity, sense of knowing it's this right now? And the other thing that shapes us is contact impressions. I think contact is a matter of touching something or seeing something, but that's only a part of it. That's the, that's the easy part of it. the more powerful part of it is the impression it leaves. So you might say, you know, you, you had a bad meal, meal you didn't like, it ruined the evening. That could be something we could say. Or you had an unpleasant conversation with someone this morning, it's ruined my whole day. 
or in an angry outburst, it's ruined our relationship. Why did an event of three minutes become a lifetime statement? Because the impression was left in the heart and it's become a film through which we see the world and ourselves. Hmm? The bowl of fish that didn't taste so good has now become the whole evening of feeling wrong and out of it. The angry remark you had with somebody has become our relationship. Who you are, who he is, who she is. That's what contact does. It, it, It establishes a fixed perception that then you begin to see through, see the world through and experience yourself through. So it goes both ways. I am the person who gets the bad deal because I had a bad meal today because somebody was angry with me today. I am the person who's this, that, and the other. So that's contact, that's impression. And that powerfully shapes us. Because sometimes somebody's angry with you today, not because of anything you did, but because their car broke down. They came in a bad mood and snapped at you. Isn't it like that? Nothing to do with you, really. But then you think, oh dear, is that, I try my best. Da, 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 da. It's completely nothing to do with you. And yet that contact impression stays there and you, we see ourselves in it. And we probably have all that films upon films of contact impressions still placed over our hearts, comparing ourselves with others, feeling we are this or are that. You want to actually include it all. So in my, just the example of my own situation, I can get the sense of, you know, what you make out of being senior monk or teacher, and you get that, that sort of impression stays there, and you think you've got to make everything work for everyone. You've got to be good at it, you've got to make it work, you've got to control it all, you've got to be responsible for it all, you've got to make it happen, you've got to come up with the goods. Wow. That's a killer, isn't it? <laughs> so, you know, include that one. And how does that feel? Where's that one? Who's that? How true is that? Can you get bigger than that? Can you release that? Can you release being smaller, lesser? Can you release being male, female? Can you release being older, younger? Can you release being not so good, better? Can you, can you include all that? The way that we do find ourselves very polarized and particularized. Can we acknowledge that, be bigger than that, 
release that. Include it all, soften, widen, release it. Whatever's happening, this is the process for awakening. Paying attention. So as you find a center, as you find a place of balance, noticing the drives, the uncertainties, the fluctuations, softening, widening out of the drama of that, feeling the space around your body, around your mind, begin to get some sense of the ability to step back or to release and then the ongoing process of and the next one really including it all this is a, a process for meditation <laughs>